0: Well, good morning, church. Glad you've chosen to be with us and to worship with us. I'll have the ushers come and we'll share in our offering. As I say each week, your giving matters. It makes a huge difference, and so thank you for giving. We're in a most critical time of year. We're in that month of January, and it is a very critical time of year for giving. It's one of the slowest months as far as giving, yet one of the highest months as far as the, uh, uh, expenses and uh, ministry taking place. So as you give, please know. It really does make a difference. I'm preaching by video today on every site and every venue um, thanks to a flight change. We were supposed to fly out later uh, today, but because of a flight change and, of course, the airlines are all all over the place, uh, my flight got changed and I I wanted to preach this morning. So uh, thanks to the things we learned during COVID. Uh, we got the team together to record this morning so that I could I could be the one preaching. And so that's uh, that's why uh, a little bit of a different approach this morning. Um, I want to just remind you all there's a Night to Shine meeting happening after the second service this morning at 1130. If you're part of the Night to Shine team, by all means, make sure you plan to be there. It's a great information you need to have. But also, I would say, it's a great time of encouragement as we get ready for Night to Shine. And we are just weeks away. And I want to thank the whole church for participating participating hundreds and hundreds of volunteers the church never looks better than when it is an active service to its community demonstrating the love of Jesus i want to give you a heads up in the next 3 weeks starting next week we're going to have spe- uh, specific giving envelopes for night to shine night to shine is one of the events that we don't budget for we don't put it into our budget we ask people to give towards night to shine and in three so for 3 weeks starting next week we'll have those envelopes you need to know that Night to Shine is not cheap. It's not inexpensive to do. It costs us about $30,000 to do Night to Shine. Now, please know if you're going, man, how could that be? Trust us, we look at every way possible uh, to do it as economically, as feasibly as possible. But there's just costs that are there and some of the providers in the area, one of our biggest costs would be for the renting of tables, chairs, and staging, things that we don't have, don't own, would need to have, um, we do some, need some tents, uh, to protect the walkways and doorways because it is, of course, winter and trying to protect guests as they're coming in. Uh, a lot of groups do donate things, but a lot of the suppliers just can't donate them. They have to, they're in business, have to make money as well. So that's the cost. We've looked at other places and it's just, it's just. It's just odd how it works. It's about twenty-five dollars to $30,000. If we go to a hotel, there's only one hotel in the area that can handle the size. If we were to go to the fairgrounds, that could also handle that size. The price comes out about the same, only it's a little different. We go to the hotel, they give us the facility virtually for free, but we spend almost $30,000 for the support services, for food and video, all those things that they have to support. So it's not, it's not cheap. Uh, but it pays back huge dividends. I I wanna say that a few years ago, uh, a family in our church came forward and gave us a check for $30,000 for Night to Shine. We have been able to use that. We still collect money each year from, from people, but we've been able to use some of that surplus every year to pay for the bills coming into Night to Shine and then we ask the church to give and uh, to, to re- resupply that and to pay that bill. So the next three weeks, um, would you participate in that? I have no doubt that there's a couple families that could say, hey, we'll write that bill. Uh, we'll pay that check. Even if you were to do that, we still want everyone to participate. This is something we do. This is something we love to do. We get to be a part of it. Uh, and it's life-changing. It's, it, it's, um, we never look better. We never look more like Jesus than when we do these kind of things. And so be praying for night to shine, be giving, and be a part of that. Now, this morning, I want to continue. Uh, talking about uh, some things that will help us get ready for the new year. Uh, We're talking these past couple of weeks, we've been talking about some practical ideas and some principles that will help us as we are early into the year and help us have a better year. We talked about Jonah. We talked from Jonah's life. We learned about how we get in trouble. And the hope with that is that if we can see how trouble comes in our lives, if we can see how we get ourselves in trouble, maybe we can head it off and maybe not go down that road. Last week, we learned about forgiveness and the fact that we need to forgive. We learned this statement. Because an unforgiving Christian is the model of hypocrisy. It's a contradiction of terms. Though based on that, if we're Christians, we have to be forgiving. And so we learn that and we're applying that to our lives. And today we come to an important question on how to invest your life. As we look to this year, how to invest your life. Now, assuming That you live through this whole year and you live right up until this exact same time next year, God will deposit into your life 525,600 minutes, 525,600 minutes or 8,760 hours. If you live to this time next year, that's what God is going to deposit into your life. And with those minutes and with those hours, you can't store them up, you can't save them, you can't set them aside, you can't build them up for some rainy day, nope. When you get them, you've gotta do something with them or you lose them, you can't get them back. So what that means for us is it means that with each minute that's deposited into your account by God, every day, every week, every year, Every moment that's deposited into your account, you have to make a choice with what you do with it. And only you can make that choice. Only you can make that decision. So will you waste those minutes? Will you spend those minutes? Or will you invest those minutes? Now, there are three things that you get to do with your life. There are three things that you get to do with your life, and we're gonna talk about those three that I just listed. And so today we're gonna talk about investing your life. God cares about you God cares about your life and God wants you to go through this life having this incredible sense of fulfillment having this sense of purpose having this awareness in this sense that you are part of something bigger more grand than you could ever imagine that's what God wants for you now let's be real honest in our lives and you have some choices here you can waste it, you can spend it you can invest it now I'm a parent and I can tell you that I care about my kids I care, I care about my kids. And what I want for my kids, I want my kids to get it right when it comes to what to do with their life. What to do with their minutes and what to do with their hours. This year, next year, year after year. Now, let's be real honest. My kids are grown kids. But I still care about what they do with their lives. And let's be real honest we look at it that you can waste your life. Any one of us can. There's, there's thousands of ways in which to waste our lives. We all know that we have multiple opportunities how to throw your life away. There's plenty of things that you can waste your life on. And as a parent, I feel like I've dodged that bullet a little bit because my kids are all grown. I have no kids living in the basement. I have no kids who are addicted to video games. I have no kids that are, that, uh, are hanging around the house wondering what to do next. They have jobs. They have goals. They have families. They have plans. They're moving in a direction so I can check off that box about the wasted life. Uh, That's not gonna be an issue. But you can spend your life, not waste it, but you can spend your life, and quite honestly, though spending your life is a little better than wasting it, you still end up in the same place at the end of it all. You have a little better journey perhaps along the way, but you still end up at the end of the journey um, at the exact same place. You can spend your life on your career. You can spend your life on relationships. You can spend your life on a relationship. You can spend your life on making money. Spend your, your life on getting rich. You can spend your life on getting things. I mean, a lot of people spend countless hours of their life, a lot of time, reading books, going to seminars, watching shows, taking classes, how to be a millionaire, how to make money, how to be successful. You can spend your whole life on your family. You can spend your whole, your whole life on your marriage. You can spend your whole life on being happy. Now, here's the, here's the deal with that. Any one of those things probably sound good. Like, yeah, I spend my whole life on my family. It, it sounds good, and admittedly, it has a ring to it. But it still comes up short in the end. Or you have a third choice. Not waste it, not spend it. You have a third choice, and that is invest it. And you can do this. You can invest your life regardless of who you are, regardless of what you have or don't have, regardless of your wealth, regardless of your education, regardless of your position or your title in life. A number of years ago, Donald Trump was interviewed. This was many, many years ago. This is before he was president. There was an interview that took place. And the interviewer started by saying this. There are only one or maybe two things, Mr. Trump, that you have not yet done in your life. You don't own a television network, you don't own the New York Yankees, and you're not president of the United States. With that, Donald Trump laughed really hard, and he said to the interviewer, well, those are worthy goals for me, I guess. I would agree, worthy goals. And then Donald Trump began to reflect. He said this, at one time, I looked up at my $200 million Trump Tower. And that was probably a long time ago that it was worth that, it's probably double that now. He said, I looked up at my $200 million Trump Tower and I thought to myself, I'm, I'm 36 years old and I've done everything that I can do. Sometimes I think it was a mistake to have raced through it all so fast. And then he said this, because I wonder what's the next level up for me? How can I top that? He says, now please know I am fatalistic, I know that there's an end. He said, I protect myself as best as anybody can. I prepare. But admittedly, he said, we all end up going out. It comes to an end. And then, as the interview was done, he was walking up the stairs with his family, with his children, and he turned back around, and he said this. I want you to know, I don't believe in reincarnation. I don't believe in heaven or hell. But we do go someplace, you know, we do go someplace, but I cannot for the life of me figure out where. I mean, what a profound statement. This is a picture of so many of us. I mean, maybe in a smaller scale, but this is a picture of people so busy spending their lives, possessing their world and going after things and they make no preparations for what's next. They make no preparation for eternity. No preparation for that which really, really matters. And whatever you do, do not point your finger at Donald Trump. Because the truth of it is, he is us and we are him. If we're not very careful. When it comes to this idea of spending our lives on things, that's true of most of us unless we catch it and consciously think about it. Now, Jesus taught... Uh, that one of the greatest uses of your life is to invest it. The greatest thing you can do with your life is not waste it, of course, not spend it, but to invest it. And to that end, he told a story, and that's our text for this morning. It's in Matthew 25, verse 14. Let me read it for you. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work um, and he got five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received interest back. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of of teeth. Let me give you <clears throat> some really quick background on Matthew 25. So Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching in his final week on earth, his final week of life. Uh, at the end of this week, he is going to be put to death on the cross. In Matthew chapter 21, we have his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, known as Palm Sunday. And then during that week, we have all of these teachings, and most of his teachings, not all of them, but most of the teachings of Jesus during that week all had to do with what we'll call end times, the last days. Most of his teaching had to do with the idea that he was leaving, but there would be a return. That there was something that's going to happen when this life is over. When God says the time is up, that's what he's talking about. Most of his teaching had to do about the reality of eternity. The reality that there is something more, so much more than this short life. And so our story comes into this, this, this package, if you will, of multiple stories of Jesus talking about the fact that there's more to this life than this. That when it comes to investing in your life, you have to see that there's more. That's why when he even begins, he says, again, it will be like a man. That word again is referencing the fact that all he's been talking about is there's a moment coming in time where we have to stand before God, a moment when we're all going to be accountable. So this parable that Jesus gives us on the master and his three servants is a picture and a story about investing your life in something that outlasts us. In fact, in this story, we find several, seven principles about investing. I want to talk about those things. Yes, seven. I understand that in your head you're going seven. So three minutes apiece, 21. Man, how's he going to get through that? I'll get through it, so stop worrying about it or thinking about it. So here we go. There's seven principles here that I need you to get a hold of because they will radically change your life, quite honestly. If you will study these principles, if you will take them to heart, it will change the direction of your life. First verse 14. And again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, note here, the master entrusted his property, his wealth to them. Here's the first principle. It's the principle of ownership. The first principle you need to understand is the principle of ownership. And that principle says this, everything I have belongs to God. Folks, it's all his, it is not yours. God made it, you didn't. God created it, you didn't. It's by God's gracious hand that you have it. If you have an attitude, that says, this is mine, and no one's taking it from me. My house, that, my, that house is mine. My investments are mine. I'm a self-made man, and no one's taking it from me. If you have that attitude, you could not be more wrong. A couple of bad investments, and, and the economy will take it away from you. Uh, fraud, someone who cheats on you as far as an accountant or something like that. Cheaters and, and the fraudulent activity out there, that will take it from you. Quite honestly, Death. We'll take it all from you in a heartbeat. And when we die, God will take that which has been on loan to you for a period of time, and he'll hand it off to someone else because you don't take it with you. So if you think that it's yours, no one's taking it, you're absolutely wrong. It's all God's. And the reality of it is, friends, is this. Everything that you have, everything, is on loan to you. It's on loan to me. I get to use it for 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years and then God hands it off to someone else. Now in our story, the master entrusted his wealth to the servant. Don't forget that word, entrust. It's a great simple word, means this. Someone with authority gives you something that is not yours, but that you are to be responsible for. The master gives to the servants his money and his wealth. Verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Principle number two is the principle of allocation. It means this, that God allots to you your amount. God's the one who decides what you're allotted. He's the one who gives you what you have. Now, some of our church folks remember that in older translations of this same story, it would not say bags of gold, but it would say talents to one. They was given five talents to one, two talents to one, one talent. Now, if you hear the word talent, it doesn't mean that you're a great dancer. You know, you got five talents, meaning you're just an incredible dancer or a incredible singer but that word talent that we use today actually comes from a biblical word. That word talent that was used through scripture in, in, in some of those older translation basically means a measurement of money, uh, a measurement of gold, a quantity of gold. And best we can tell, it would be about $1,000 in, in the numbers. And so the master goes and he gives to one servant about $5,000, another servant about $2,000, and a third servant, 1,000. Now the point here is this, I'm going on a trip now, make sure you hear this. This is very really critical. The master says, I'm going on a trip. I want you to take my money and I want you to go invest it while I'm gone. And here's the key piece of it. If I were here, that's what I would do. If I were here, I would be taking that money and investing it, but I won't be here. So I'm going to give it to you and I want you to go and do what I would be doing if I were here, but now you're going to do it on my behalf. Now, friends, make sure you get this you every single one of you every single one of you in the room and on essex campus every one of you in the room at the north avenue campus every one of you who's watching on your phone in your car in your living room in your kitchen uh in the uh, video cafe every single one of you everyone has talents everyone has been given talents resources ability money skills spiritual gifts All the things that God has given you, everything that you have, God has put in your hands. Your children, your job, your family, anything that God has entrusted into you for safekeeping is a talent. Anything that you have, that's God's bag of gold that he has given to you. Now notice it says that according to their ability, they were given different amounts. But the real key piece of the story is this, the amount differs, but everyone gets some everyone has some. There's no such thing as a no-talent person. There's no such thing as a no-talent Christian. Now, you have been entrusted with what you have by God, so stop comparing it to what other people have. I mean, that's what we do. I look at what I have and go, yeah, God's given me this. But man, look how much they have. That's not the issue. God has given to us each an amount. And here's the key piece. It really doesn't matter how much I've been given. The amount of return is up to me and what I do with it. Make sure you get that. The person who maybe seems like God has more talents is not in any better place of a better return than I am with my fewer talents. The amount of return is up to me and my investment with it. Back to our story in verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. The man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Just a quick side note again. Don't forget, this picture is the picture of Jesus Christ empowering us, giving us gifts and abilities. His leaving, one day he'll return. We will stand before God to give account as to what we have done with all that we have had. That brings us to principle number three. And this is the principle of accountability. God expects expects me to use what he's given me. Principle three is the principle of accountability. God has an expectation that you would be using that which He's given to you. Verse 19 says, The day came to settle accounts. You see, He has entrusted His wealth and His servants, and now the day has come to come back and check on the investment. He's given those money. He said to them, listen, you take this and you invest it as I would. Now let's come back to see what kind of return that we have. Here's a very key statement. God has made an investment in your life and he's expecting a return. It's that simple. God has made the investment. Now, the Bible is clear that one day you and I, we are going to have a life audit. The Bible is clear that one day we're going to give an account of our lives. We're going to stand before God and one day we're going to stand there and in some way, shape or form, God is going to put to us the question, so what have you done with everything that I have given you? And the, it will not be an argument that says, wow, I didn't have much. The issue is not much. The issue is with whatever you have, what have you done with it? Now be sure you get this. We do not get to plan our entrance into this world. You do not get to plan your exit out of this world, but you do get to plan and decide what awaits you when you exit. You get to choose that. In fact, what you have waiting for you when this life is over is determined by you and determined by you alone. Your life and what you do with it. It's all you. Now, in our story... The 5 bad guy, he takes his money and doubles it. The 2 bad guy, he doubles it. But the one bad guy digs a hole and he buries it. The, um, the one bad guy is actually the point of the story here. He buries it. He does nothing. He's cautious. He plays it safe. Um, he basically says, hey, I'm going to play this safe here. I'm going to be conservative. And so he just sits on it. Now, notice, if you would, the master's reaction to his kind of a safe approach. It's in verse 26. So his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. This brings us to this next principle. And this is the principle of utilization. You've got to use it. God expects you to use what he gave you. That's critical. Principle four is that God expects you to use what he gave you. The point is this. You cannot please God by playing it safe. You cannot please God by sitting there and saying, I'm going to be conservative. Let's Let's be more direct. You cannot please God when you do nothing. If your approach to your Christian walk is to show up on Sunday morning and put your time in, maybe write a little check for the offering, basically do nothing else that is not pleasing to God. Love having you. I love you being a part of it all. And I mean that so sincerely, but it goes beyond me just be having you happy that you're here. I want you to experience what God wants for you. And God is not happy. He's not pleased when we do nothing. Now, don't go down the road of what I did as a kid is is this poor guy. Because for some of us, we can imagine, well, that's what I would do. I I would go bury it. I mean, I think he's just being safe. No, the reaction of the master tells us that there was an expectation, and you're going to see more about that, that this this guy was not just being safe. He wasn't being safe. He was being lazy. This guy... Either didn't want the responsibility of what he had or, and you've heard this before, or he buried it because he intended to do something with it at some point in time, but he hadn't figured it out yet. Bottom line is it goes like this. Remember that intending to serve God makes you feel really good about yourself while you're disobeying God. So either this guy doesn't want the responsibility, so he just does the easy thing, or maybe he did it saying, well, I'll bury it for now because I intend to do something later. Either way, it doesn't happen. God says, no, that's not the issue. You're lazy. You could have at least put it in the bank. And then when I came back, I'd have some interest. Now, this reveals a very troubling truth for churches. i got to be very honest. This reveals a problem. In fact, this might just reveal one of the greatest sin in churches today. And maybe the right word's not greatest, so maybe it's not greatest sin, but certainly one of the most damaging. One of the most damaging sins in church to churches today is this. It's the sin of inactivity. It's the sin of passivity. It's church crippling. It's a church crippling sin. People, numbers of people who just won't participate. They won't step up. They won't jump in. The point is this. We do not please God by our inactivity in God's church, by the lack of risk, by the lack of investment, by the lack of jumping into doing things. It's not pleasing to God. In fact, it's damaging to his church. Doing nothing is inexcusable. You see, God would rather have you serve, God would rather have you take a risk, God would rather have you stretch yourself, and God would even rather have you fail miserably than to do nothing. One of the greatest things that you could put on your tombstone someday when it comes to God and his kingdom would be these words, well, at least I tried. And I don't mean that as an excuse for failure. I mean, one of the greatest things we could say is, you know what, it didn't go well maybe, but man, they gave it all that they had. Now, you've heard me say this through the years, but I want you to hear this again, because I so mean it. I am so glad that God has allowed me to pastor, that he's allowed me to pastor here in this church, in this town, in this county, in this state. And I mean that so sincerely. It was no accident that God brought us here, and I'm so glad that he did. Why? Because I get to be a part of, and Diane and I get to be a part of something that's so much bigger than us and something that's going to be here long after I'm gone. I care about investing my life in that which is going to outlast me. All the previous pastors before me, I have to go back and check my thing, all those previous pastors before me are either gone and into eternity with Jesus or are heading there quickly. My day will come as well. I get to be a part of something that outlasts me, the kingdom of God. But listen very carefully here. We all know that doing church in New England is not easy. I want to remind you that Vermont is the least religious state in the country. And in the state of Vermont, the least religious county in the state is Chittenden County, right where we're at. This is not the Bible Belt. We do not live in the Bible Belt. On the contrary, this is the, this is the mud boots. This is the mud boots part of the country. This is where you have to work, where you have to dig in and work. To have the church survive and and work because it doesn't just happen naturally if you will i've got good friends that are pastors in areas in the country where quite honestly you can draw a 10 mile circle or 20 mile circle from from their the the center of the town or from their church and you may find a dozen or two dozen churches that have two three four and five thousand people man not not in vermont not in the northeast but here's the point i want you to think about this which of these guys, the five bag, five gold bag guy, the two bags of gold guy, or the one bag, which of those three do you think is most likely to sit on what he has and, and just do nothing? And I would contend it would be the one bag guy. Why? Because this is how so many of us think. Well, I'm just a one talent guy. I'm no superstar. Let the gifted do it. I mean, let the people, they have so much more. They got so much more money than I have, so much more time than I have, so much more energy. They got so many more gifts than I do. Let the superstars go and do it. Uh, They have more to give. My one little talent is nothing. It makes no difference, really. Now, listen, that's comparing. That's comparing what you have instead of looking at what can be gained. I said that earlier, you know, what you've been given isn't the issue. The same rate of return can happen if you'll just invest it. Now, folks, I would say, please get in the game. It's incredible. What God is doing in our church, what God is doing in our area through our church and through our church people is absolutely incredible, and we get to be a part of it. I mean, there, this church has been placed here, and I believe, unlike any others, all the other churches are great. I'm not knocking them, but we've got a heart and a mission for missional living. I mean, people step in here, walk in here, talk to us, because we're not offensive in the idea that we're not choosing different agendas that will push them away. Our agenda is the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving people. And people are drawn to figure that out. We get to be a part of something incredible here. What God is doing is incredible. Please don't sit on the sidelines because the rate of return here is huge and God is doing something great. I've got to be honest. I see and meet a lot of dull Christians I see a lot of Christians, their sparkle is gone, their energy is gone, seems like the joy is gone. Their walk with God seems to be a routine. Spiritual life seems flat. Um, not fun to be around, not a lot of energy. And you say, well, why? Why is that? Well, I can't really tell you the why because I don't know the details of everyone's particular life, but I can give you this observation. Most of them are sideline sitters. They're spectators, spectators. They're not participants. Long ago, somewhere, they it seems like they've buried their talents. Somewhere along the way, they've decided to coast. They've let other people do it. They've let other people get in and enjoy the ride. You see, God expects you to utilize what he has given you. It's flat out wrong to waste your life. It's flat out wrong to waste your money, your energy, your time. It's flat out wrong to waste what God has given to you. It matters how you live your life and use how you live on that which matters most. Um, It pains me when I think about the fact that they will come and it pains me when I think about some of the excuses that some some of us will make and try to give to God when one day we stand before him. Standing before the very one who gave his life for us. Standing before the very one and trying to excuse why it is that we sat idle. And why we didn't get involved. Making excuses why it is that you, set, you, you kind of set off to the sideline and you watch other people do it. You know, other people get involved with no attempt to get involved yourself. No attempt to serve, to give, to minister. Very sincerely, as your pastor and as a friend and as a Christian, I would say, would you please consider that the day is coming where we all give an account as to what we have done with what God has given us? We stand before God to give an account of our lives. Um, You prepare. How do you prepare? You prepare by using what God has given you. He's given you time, he's given you talent. He's given you treasures. And you get ready for that day by taking those things and by investing them in God's kingdom. Now, back back to our verse in back 25. Listen to this guy's defense. Verse 25. He says, So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Uh, I was afraid. There's a key principle here, principle number five, and that's the principle of motivation. Listen carefully. Fear often keeps me from using what God has given me. For some of you, you will never use what God has given you because of absolute fear. Now, make sure you know this is not fear from God. This is not the fear of God. Uh, Satan is the one who sends fear, not God. And there's three kinds of fear that will massively affect your life. There's the fear of self-doubt. There's the feel of self-pity. And there's the fear of self-consciousness. Self-doubt, fear of failure, straight out afraid to fail. Self-pity is the fear of owning your failure. It's that fear of owning what you've done. Interesting thing, two figures in this last week of Jesus' life, two figures rise to the top. Both of them failed Jesus miserably, Judas and Peter. But look at the storylines. Judas is wracked with guilt. Guilt takes over his own life. Um, It devours him to the point where he takes his own life. Peter, on the other hand, he weeps bitterly, he comes to God with grief for his failure, He's redeemed, and about 50 days later, from the moment where he fails Christ in, in his worst moment, about 50 days later, Peter' preaching a message where 3,000 people say yes to following Jesus Christ. Incredible story there. And that happens when we don't own when we don't own our failure. So there's that fear, self-pity. And then there's also self-consciousness, and that's the fear of what people think. Fear of what others will see, what others will think. And for many of us, it just paralyzes us. Fear, and notice this, fear also leads us to making excuses for our doing nothing. Go back to verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Interesting when it's his turn to report what he's done with the money. It's interesting that he has already memorized, he's already has a scripted excuse. Uh, father, uh, master, so uh, here's your money. I just buried it, do anything else with it because I know that you're a hard man. On and on it goes. It's interesting that his excuse to his master for his failure is actually the master's fault. Uh, I, I didn't do this because of you, blames the master verse 28. So the master says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. No excuses. Take his bag of gold away from him. So here we go. Principle number six, two more to, le- two more to go. Principle number six, it's the principle of application. It goes like this. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't apply it, then it's gone. You either apply what you have been given, or you lose what you have been given. Now, some will think, "Well, that seems unfair." I mean, that, that's totally unfair. You take you take the one from the guy who has very has just the one, and you give it to the guy with that ten. There's the same old story: the rich get richer, the poor get ri- poor. Get poor. No, it is absolutely fair. It's God's in the first place. God gives it to the guy who says, I want you to do this as I would do, go and invest it. And if he refuses to do that, it's absolutely fair for God to take what is his and give it to someone else for them to go and use it. The principle of use it or lose it is a, is a universal principle, right? I mean, you know this. If you don't use your muscles, you lose your muscles. Don't use your brain, not use your brain. You go dull. Don't use your opportunities, you lose opportunities. But let me give you right now a secret. A a secret that can radically change your life. In fact, it's called the reverse principle. It's the reverse of use it or lose it. it. Goes like this. You see, if you use your muscles, what do you get? More muscles. If you use your brain, you get sharper. If you use your opportunities, you get more opportunities. So here's the secret. Whatever you need more of, start giving it generously to God. Isn't that incredible? Think about that. I mean, this is a biblical principle. Whatever you need more of, start giving it generously to God. Start using it for God. Like the story of the loaves and fishes, two small loaves of bread, two fishes. And yet anything that's put into the master's hand becomes much and it multiplies. You need more time, give your time to God. You need more money, give your money over to God. You need more energy, use your energy for the kingdom. I mean, it's just so simple. The principle works. Now, intuitively, you go, how can that be? Try it, try it, and you will not be disappointed. Whatever you give to the master, he multiplies it in your life. Let's get to the last one. Let's look back to our text, uh, beginning of verse 29. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where it will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's his answer to the guy with one bag. But look at that next verse. And this is going back to verse 21. Look at what he says to those that, that had a return. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful to few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The last principle is principle number seven, and that's the principle of compensation. It means this. You will get all that you have coming to you and more. You see, God honors anyone who invests their life for his kingdom. If you are faithful with God has given you, you will see in this story three great rewards that will be your rewards as well. Any child loves these rewards. Any adult will love these rewards. Any person who's faithful with what they have, what God has given to them, they give back to God and they use it for his kingdom. They get rewarded three things from the story. We see it. One, you get affirmation. Affirmation. The master says, well done good and faithful servant. I mean, what little child doesn't love hearing dad say, man, great job, buddy. I want to hear the word, Scott, you did great. Affirmation. Second, second um, a compensation piece you get is promotion. He goes, listen, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm gonna give you more things. As you are faithful with what I give you in small quantities, it's going to build and build and build and you'll have more. You get get the promotion of things. And then you get celebration. He says, come and share my happiness. Come and celebrate with me. The happiest people I know are the people that are deep in the pool of serving Jesus and serving his church. I'll tell you right now, you look around this church and the happiest people you will see are the people who are deep in serving, giving of themselves, giving of their time, giving of their treasure, giving of their money, their talents for the kingdom of God. They're the happiest people. I'm going to end by giving you a little guide, if you will. I'm going to put three guides on the screen in just for a moment. In your head, I want you to put an X. I'm going to give you a little chart, so it's got a little bar graph. In your head, I want you to put an X, and be honest here, put an X in your head on the little, on the little graph where you're at right now with these the three different areas, three different guides, where you're at right now in your investment level, and then in your mind, put a little circle of where you think you could be with God's help in three months from now. Let me put them on the screen for you. Here's the first one. Investment guide number one, use of my talents, the use of my gifts and my abilities. And you see it goes from 10 up to 100. So what's your percentage? Where are you right now in the use of your talents and your abilities for the kingdom of God? The things that God's given you, those abilities you have, how are you using them for the kingdom? Put Put an X in your head on that scale. Where are you at right now and how you're using them? And where might you be? Where could God take you? if you said, okay, God, I'm all in. In three months, put a little circle on that spot. Let me give you the second guide. Investment guide number two, the use of my time. Use of my time, same thing. Look at your time, look at how you spend it. Look at how you either spend it or waste it. Look how you invest it and be honest here and say, when I look at the kingdom of God and my time, here's where I'm at and put a little X and the percentage of your time is where you're legitimately at right now. And then, of course, do the circle. The circle that says, you know, here's where I think God would have me be and here's where he can help me get there. Let me give you the last one. Investment guide number three, use of my money. Use of my money. Same kind of question, use of my money. Now, please know I'm talking about percentage. I'm not talking about the percentage of your giving. I'm not saying, oh, I got to give 100% of what I take. No, no, where's the percentage of your heart? If you look at your money, And how do you use your resources? If you could, if any, if an independent auditor could come in and look at your books, would they say, man, this guy is totally investment in the kingdom of God. This family, totally investment in the kingdom of God. Or would they say, hmm, token investment. Where are you at? Put an X. Put an X as to where your investments are as relates to the kingdom of God. And maybe put a little zero, um, a little circle around, not a zero, but a circle around where where you could be three months from now if you said, okay, God, I'm going to start to invest with you. So how'd you do? Now, please hear this. This is not an exercise for every one of us to look and say, bah, I gotta do better. Quite honestly, remember in the story, you had a guy that had the five bags and two bags and they got it. They got it. This was not an exercise to make everybody here go, oh, I have to do better. No, please know. If you look at that and you think, man, I'm investing my time, I'm investing my money in the, in the, into the ministry, investing my, my talent into the church, Enjoy your master's happiness. Celebrate with him. God celebrates with you. But here's the question. If you're looking at those charts and you see your exes, and the truth of it is, if you're honest, your exes don't really reflect all in. Your exes really don't reflect a life of being invested in the kingdom of God, maybe spent around the church, maybe even wasted around life, but not invested. My statement would be jump in. Jump in. How do you start? Start serving. Don't wait for some emotional tug. Don't wait for some plea. If you want to start getting involved, serve. Serve in children's ministries or in student ministries, in Usher or Greet, M25, multiple places. Find a place to serve and say, hey, here I am. I'm going to start. Uh, Maybe start growing. Being in God's word, finding a small group, being in a men's group, a women's group. We have multiple groups that meet all the time where you can take a starting place of growing in your walk, growing in your faith, being a part of a small group, or maybe write. You know, write what? Write your first check. Look at your money, look at your finances, and write your first check. A real gift to God, not a tip. There's places in which to start. Here's the deal very sincerely. God cares about your life. God wants you to have a full life, a rich life, a prosperous life. God wants you to have a fulfilled life. I want you to have that as well. And you will not have that by simply spending your time. And you certainly won't have that by wasting your time. But you can have that by investing your time and investing your resources and investing your life in the kingdom of God. Friends, God is doing incredible things in our church. And I just invite you to join in. Don't watch it from the sideline. Jump in, serve, give, and be a part of what we're doing. How different your life can look one year from now if you take those minutes and take those hours and say to God, man, I'm giving them to you. Let me offer a prayer. Everyone, please stand and we'll, uh, we'll pray together. Father, I thank you for these truths. I wanted to share them today. I wanted to preach this message. And admittedly, I like preaching to to live people instead of a camera. But I still wanted to convey this message because it's had such an impact in my life. I'm so thankful that you have given me the opportunity to serve you and to give you of my time and my energy and my money for something so much bigger than I am. And I pray that people would get that vision, that that we get to be about something so much bigger than us and to jump in full, full on in in the deep end, all for the kingdom of God. I thank you for so many people who are doing just that. So many people who give, so many people who serve, so many people who use their abilities and their talents. Thank you. They are happy people. They are are joyful people. They are better for it, and we are better for it. But I also say, Lord, there's a whole bunch of us that are content to sit on the sideline. With all love, I say, would you remind us that it it is not pleasing to you to sit by inactive. In fact, the sin of inactivity, the sin of passivity is a sin that damages the church. And so I pray that you would speak to many hearts, raise them up and say, you know what? I'm in. But the fear aside, I'm all in. And we'll be excited to see what you do in your church, through your church, in us and through us. All because of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.